Hey guys, been a while. I uh, do apologize for the delay. The move really set me back almost a month, actually. And uh, this was a long game to go through. It took me a while. Go figure. I also kind of was watching the game while playing it so I could see other playthroughs and refresh myself and some of the choices and whatnot. Unfortunately, for all that work, I feel that you may just look at me and shake your head because I don't really feel like I have a lot to say about this game. Let's go ahead and start with the making of. This game was the primary uh, love child, if you will, of Warren Spector. Some of you may remember him from Origins and the Ultima series. Warren Spector was given uh, what he himself refers to as a seductive trap from uh, John Romero, saying, unlimited creative freedom, no marketing stress, unlimited budget, etc., etc., right? Now, I, he calls that in a trap, and I, I, if you understand anything about John Romero, you understand why that statement's true, but allow me to go into it just a little bit here. The idea here is that John Romero has no idea about how reality works. I've talked about this before when I did my Doom video, and how the man just is completely disconnected from things. And one of the biggest reasons why Diane Katana failed so miserably was because John Romero did not understand how reality worked, and kept basically per performing as if he was a rock star more or less literally. Now, it's clear that that was his belief in mind when he approached Warren and said, hey, you can do whatever, it's cool, man. And it's that sort of vague uh, promise that he couldn't actually follow through on. It also, in Warren's own words, kind of made the situation more difficult because Warren didn't really know how to manage his team properly. And I don't mean that as an insult, because Warren himself is probably his biggest critic. He himself has said that he's very disappointed in Deus Ex and how he feels like the game fell flat of what he wanted it to be in many different ways, and he blames himself for that. Uh, they tried this thing called a matrix management system, which basically means multiple teams working secularly that are connected to each other. It's a very brief description. And that really didn't work out too well. A lot of the teams disagreed with each other. Some of the people working on the development team didn't actually want to work in this game at all. There was a lot of conflicts, a lot of people hashing it out. There were actually a surprising number of problems when it comes to making this game. If you're paying attention, I've pointed out how several of the great works, things that are considered you know, real works of art in gaming and movies and television these days, all came about because of a combination of random circumstances. And if you look back at the making of it, you're like, how did this ever succeed? Deus Ex is another one of these. This game should not have been as good as, good as it is, and it should not have succeeded as much as it did. But here it is. Here we are. Great game. I highly recommend, if you have not made the time to go back and play it, that you do. It is basically an action RPG, uh, it's sort of in the style of, to use a more modern example, Bioshock. In fact, in more ways than one, this game was sort of the progenitor of that style of gameplay. But more so, if that makes any sense. It's not without its flaws, and I'll be talking about those flaws as we go through here. Um, unfortunately, there's not really much else to talk about with regards to the behind-the-scenes thing. They had to do a lot of new stuff. They had this sort of AI thing that they were t tinkering with, which didn't quite come out. They had these pseudo-quest systems, which was this myriad, uh, myriad chart of flags to check what you've done and when you've done it. And they did a lot of really great work with adjusting to your actions. For example, if you try to sequence break within reason, you know, some, without trying to use uh, glitches or hacks, and if you try to sequence break, the game will acknowledge that. And the voice acting and the dialogue and the events of the game will actually be like, oh, hey, you know, 
you did this instead, so why don't we go ahead and acknowledge that you did that? This is probably one of the bigger uh, choice in gameplay games I've seen of, of this particular era, and indeed in general. Which uh, leads me to the next thing I want to talk about, which is the gameplay, as you might imagine. So, this is a stealth sniper, run-and-gun, uh, <laughs> dialogue, hacking gameplay. They, they, now, some people call this the beginning of emergent gameplay. I hate that phrase because it's used as a buzzword so many times. But it does kind of apply here in more ways than one. So, what I meant by my previous sentence is that you can play this entire game as if it's a Doom game. This is actually built in the Unreal Engine, so it handles the shooting fairly well. So you can just go through... You can do that. If you want to go through completely stealth-based, you can do that. If you want to go through talking your way through every situation, you can do that. If you want to go through hacking your way through every situation, you can do that. There are options as far as your gameplay style. Uh, some people actually say that the the sequel, by which I mean Human Revolution, of course, because I don't know what you're talking about with Invisible Whatever... Um, <laughs> The uh, that some people think Human Revolution really dropped the ball on that, and indeed, let's be honest with ourselves: the vast majority of games do not know how to handle letting you play it your way, and 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 pulling that off right. Deus Ex really did that right. You could it, 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 there's a there's a quote, and forgive me for misquoting it from Yahtzee, over on uh, the escape on on zero punctuation, where he pretty much flat out says you can uh, you can specialize in guns or stealth or sneaking or or violin you know quartets and and every single part of the game there's some way to try and get through that part of the game with that particular uh, philosophy in mind. It's actually very hard to pull off. Huge huge props to them. So and of course you can mix and match at your leisure, however you want to do it. For anybody curious, I know several people were asking on a recent stream, I went through as basically a talky stealth person, and I had the dragon tooth sword. Now said. Um, now there are limitations. Let's talk about some negatives before we gush about this game anymore. First of all, the game is kind of buggy. Uh, I actually, uh, it took me genuine effort to get the game running at all. Because it would be like, alright, here's the game, crash! First thing it would happen. Um, so I had to work around that. And I had and I had constant issues where the just to name one example, I was talking to Paul at one point in time, and I'm like, "Hey, Paul. Hey, Paul. Paul, I'm right. Paul." And I had to talk to him to proceed through the game, and I knew this. I've played this game before, so I'm like, "Paul. Paul. <laughs> uh, reload, save. Paul. Shut down game. Restart game." Paul! And then he talks to me. Just There's a lot of bugs in the game like that. Um, none of them are really super game-breaking, because all of them have some way around them. But still. Uh, also, the graphics, in my honest opinion, have not aged well at all. Uh, this game was actually inspired in many ways by the uh, sy uh, System Shock series. And it kind of shows in the models and the presentation and the... Uh, the way the UE works, the way the combat flows, or rather doesn't flow. Um, so it, 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 it definitely has aged kind of badly, in my honest opinion. I hate to say that. I'm, I'm referring purely to the case of the graphics, of course, by the way. Because the gameplay has actually aged quite well. Better than System Shock 2, for example, in my opinion. Um, and then there's the voice acting. <laughs> Bomb! Um, the voice acting... Is te it's terrible. It's terrible. I'm just going to say it. I'd, I'd like to be kind. I'd like to tolerate it. They were going for kind of a dirty, hairy thing with uh, JC, and they've, it's, it's bad. There are scenes where he's pontificating on the nature of humans. 
and he's saying it with this kind of monotone voice and everything he says is just a little bit clipped sometimes i think that human you know just it's it's terrible listening to it um so the voice acting really pulls me out of it and there's one other flaw now this is something i don't want to talk about right now but just keep in the back of your mind that there's one other big flaw that i've never heard anyone else talk about in this game uh, most of the stuff i'm talking about i've heard before for people who review or discuss this game but not this other point see that in the back of your mind so uh the choice structure of the game is brilliantly designed what i mean by that is you have choices in gameplay that aren't dialogue windows i mean that does happen too but you don't have a thing where a big old w window pops up and says, how would you like to proceed? You know, choose your own adventure style. Rather, to use the uh, Anna Navari as, as probably my favorite example of that, you can actually kill her very early on. And I don't know about you guys, but when I first played this game, that never even occurred to me. Did not even cross my mind that it was an option. She says, you have to kill him. And I'm like, okay, well, sure. You can actually kill her there just fine. Um... And there's several other examples of that where there's choices that you wouldn't actually be aware of choices unless you're either aware of it or you're just trying to experimenting on your own. That's, what, that's kind of probably where that emergent gameplay thing comes into this because it's not just the fact that you can choose how you are physically playing the game with regards to what gameplay style, but the fact that you are sort of choosing your direction throughout the game too. And that leads to another thing that I want to talk about. But again, I want to kind of save that, so we're just going to move that aside. Um, there are lots and lots of establishments within the game to help flesh out the, uh, the, 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 the nature of the gameplay. The, it, for, so let's start with the inventory. Uh, it has what I, I've nowadays referred to as the Resident Evil 4 inventory, a.k.a. you have a big old box. It's, got, it's a grid, so, you know, rows, columns, and in, items in your inventory take up a certain amount of space. You know, this is like three long... Uh, yeah, three long, one tall, or this is two tall and two long. You know, uh, Diablo 2 is another good example of this. And so you've got all this stuff taking up all this space, and you have to, like, okay, well, I'm going to put this here and this here. And you get really good at mixing and managing the inventory system. Now, I actually like this inventory system a lot, personally. It makes your inventory meaningful in a more significant way that encourages you to think about it than say a burden system a burden system to use uh, the most common example is basically every elder scrolls although plenty of other games have done this as well where you have x burden and there's things you can do to raise your burden and the things that you can do to, to reduce your burden but basically every item has a weight attached to it and once it goes over that cap you know consequences happen whatever those consequences are the reason i like the jigsaw method better of the, the the resident evil 4 method is because it's the same basic consequence when you look at it from the far perspective but when you actually get up there and you're actually looking at it it encourages you to think about how you're managing your inventory rather than just well okay this is heavier so i'm going to drop this as a phase for this but i want to keep this so i'm just going to have to drop this instead instead it's more like well if i'm careful about this i could put this here and this here and this here and that leaves me these two spaces so i can move this over here and then i can keep this and this and i can keep my bio you know bioelectric cells down here and all that fun stuff and it encourages you to think about your inventory management rather than simply uh and it rewards you for having some skill with regards to the jigsaw effect with the, you know, with the pseudo-Tetris style. And I like that. I like that presentation, and it's a good way to, once again, have choice being on the player for what you carry around. And it does still limit you, which I think is important, you know, limitations being a matter of, uh, of, of necessity when it comes to this kind of creative gameplay. Uh, there's lots and lots and lots 
of uh, connecting points in this. I want to talk about that concept really quick because I don't think I've really discussed the idea of connecting points. It has to do with what I call setting continuity. Uh, the next generation, Star Trek Next Generation, is something I use often as a parallel to setting continuity because Next Generation didn't actually have string continuity like, say, Babylon 5 does or Deep Space Nine toyed with. Um, or, you know, most modern, most modern shows do string continuity. One episode leads to the next, leads to the next. It's the same arc, right? Um, setting continuity is actually harder to pull off in many ways, though, because setting continuity is all about keeping your notes clear so that in three episodes or in, or in a, however many missions in the game, you can reference stuff that happened back then in a way that isn't relevant to the plot, and, and it's hard to explain what I mean by this. It's one of the reasons I've, I've, I've had trouble talking about it. But, like, for example, I'll use this from the writing perspective. You're writing a story, and you want to make a company that makes guns. We'll just use a modern age thing. So this company makes guns, and they make this particular type of gun. And so you write a little backstory about where those people are, are placed, the leaders of that company, and, you know, their approach to marketing, okay? Now, none of this is really going to get across in the actual game or book or show or whatever it is you're doing. But you know that so that in a, every now and again you could drop a little thing about this one guy saying, I really like blah, blah guns. You know, we'll call them Bob's guns. I really like Bob's guns. Or, and later on, this one other could say, well, Bob's guns are super reliable, but God, they're so expensive, you know, and, and it's just tiny little things like that, connecting points that help to flesh it out to make it feel like a world, because most people won't even consciously notice those connecting points, but they will be aware of the fact that the world is interacting with itself, that the world is coordinating with itself, that it's consistent, and that consistency is something you will notice even if only subconsciously. And I love that sort of consistent setting-building continuity. Uh, and this game has that in spades. They did so much behind-the-scenes uh, prep work for the world, and it's demonstrated through the gameplay aspects of it because everywhere you go there's emails, and there's little notes you can find, and little data cubes, you know, your usual go-around-and-find-the-uh the messages type thing, but you're rewarded for doing it because it helps flesh out the world you're going through. And I like that. I like that explorative uh, thing. And of course, there's tons and tons of actual gameplay stuff you can get from this too. Lots of bioelectric tools, tons of ammo, the little omni tools, you know, there's lots of little benefits for running around and getting all this stuff. If you go and basically try to loot everything and explore everywhere, you will be so overburdened. You will be laden with loot in this game if you actually do that. Trust me, I had to stop doing that because of that exact same problem. Um, so, uh, the, and, and it's just this huge, huge list of stuff like that. Um, the, uh, and, and, and so we'll use, uh, Jock as an example. There's this, you get an email from him where you, where it's talking about, uh, Maggie Chow and ordering him to watch over and whatnot. And if you happen to be exploring one of the levels, you'll actually find there's a sniper post, which is currently abandoned, obviously, watching over her apartment. And that's all they do. They don't say they don't play play anything out any more obviously than that. But you get the impression, you get the, the the connecting point there of oh well, okay, this is where he's been watching her and trying to spy on her in case he needs to kill her, you know that kind of a thing. Um, if you and, and there's all sorts of tiny little things like if you walk into a woman's or, or not into a woman's, if you walk into a a unisex bathroom or a multisex bathroom, the women will actually have little dialogue bits like, look, I know it's unisex, but can you please at least wait your turn? You know, just little stuff like that. Lots of little stuff like that. Um, the what does that say? 
Oh yeah, there's also plenty of things where you can basically skip bosses. Now, I, I wanted to explain what I meant by this. I said earlier, you know, you can choose your gameplay. Now, I, I know some people who haven't played a game like this, and there are a few out there in addition to this one, are probably asking, how do you beat a boss without killing it? Uh, how do you beat a boss without shooting it, you know, in a shooter gameplay? Well, I'll use, once again, Anna as the, as the penultimate example here. If you bother to go... Uh, doing basically what is effectively a little side quest, go exploring on your own with either hacking or dialogue uh, options and skills. This is also true for Gunther. Uh, you can discover something that she has, a kill phrase, which I'll talk a little bit more in a bit because we're still in the gameplay section. And so when you approach her, you can just go ahead and tell her, you know, Flatlander woman, and she's like, and she's gone. You have defeated her without actually firing a shot. And again, Pretty much every major encounter in this game has an option like that to do it. It is brilliantly designed, and it takes tremendous work and effort. And I know that, you know, Spectre and all the people who worked on this, forgive me for not remembering their other names, I actually read like five interviews on the making of this game. There's a lot of backstory on it. Um, but all of the people all said the same thing, you know, oh, we're so disappointed in how bad our game turned out. Guys, you did great, okay? <laughs> I know your game is a bug-riddled, terribly voice acted you know mess but seriously your game's still amazing i have said many 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 times that what defines what we really enjoy is not something that is good but something whose good over outweighs the bad everything has bad everything has negatives this thing has negative there's a reason i have that phrase net positive this game has a huge net positive despite having large negatives i think that should say something one last thing i want to talk about the gameplay wise before we move on to the the world and that is the fact that deus ex was doing three choices for an ending before it was cool although i'll talk more about the three choices a little bit later <clears throat> Let's talk about the world of this game, just a little bit, the setting. So this is, and again, I kind of want to save this point for later, but this game has uh, an, an issue with it. Again, I, I want to, hang on, let me make sure I wrote down my note down here. I'm kind of doing a new note system. Uh, yes, okay, I did write the, so I wrote the secondary notes later. Good. So I shouldn't forget anything this time. Uh... One of the things this game does is the story was basically inspired by conspiracy theories. And it, it effectively takes, I, I forget the whole list, it's like 12 different conspiracy theories and just throws them in a blender. So we've got Aliens and Roswell and Area 51. We've got uh, cybernetics. We've got cyberterrorism. We've got the black helicopters, the men in black, the Illuminati is here. Uh, the Knights Templar are in this, you know. Um, I'm trying to remember what else... Oh uh, yeah, gene modification is here. There's all sorts of this, tons and tons and tons of amounts of this uh, conspiracy theory thing. It's basically conspiracy theory, the game, actually. And it just kind of mixes it all up into one thing. It does it coherently. You know, I don't want it to sound derogatory. The, the blender analogy probably isn't a great analogy. It does weave these different elements into a cohesive narrative, and that's cool. Uh, the world building of this is probably one of the best points. They really go into detail, especially if you bother to dig into it, and this is true in the other two games in the series as well. Oh, excuse me, the other one game in the series. Uh, really, if you really look into it, you can find out about how this came to be, how the Knights Templar became what they are, how they began to found you know, the Illuminati uh, you know, in 17, 1776, and how there was this whole philosophical ideal about how we must... You know, there must be a guiding force behind humanity, and every Illuminati leadership must be preparing the next group for their leadership, and it's this iterative process, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, and, and you hear about the, the wonderful trial 
the case that happened for the gentleman who wanted to have augments and because he was losing his job to people with augments, you know, all that stuff. Great, great, great world building. Um, I also did a little bit of looking into this just on my own no notes here, and it looks like basically everything that in this game was inspired by came out in the just a few years prior to this game actually being constructed. This includes The X-Files, uh, Cyberpunk 2020, and uh, Syndicate is another big uh, example here. And this is, again, not one of those rip-offs, or I'm not trying to say he's just, oh, he just did it before. I'm not being that derogatory. I know some people say that. Uh, he has a war inspector who, again, he's basically the creative lead of this entire uh, project, and several of the people working on the writing team said flat out they were inspired by these sources. There's a difference between openly admitting you take inspiration for something and ripping something off, okay? Let's just make that clear. The They romanticize the internet side of things a lot, typical for early 2000s, anybody who ever saw that movie, uh, uh, let's see, I've got dozens, let's go with Sneakers, it's probably one of my favorite examples, or the one with Angeli, uh, Angelina Jolie, whose name I can't remember, and then there was that other terrible one, <laughs> just absolutely terrible uh, one with uh, Sandra Bullock. Which it, would, it just took the whole internet can do anything thing and ran with it. That's basically how this works. The whole world is connected. The whole world is part of the, the whole web thing. That's actually a plot point later on. Uh, and they really romanticize how the hacking side of that works. You know, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. It's just funny. Um, but the funny thing is they really go out of their way to emphasize how terrible this world is. I'm going to talk just a little bit more about that in a second. Because we see several organizations. I already mentioned the Templar, the Knights Templar, who are effectively wiped out uh, during the course of slash prior to this game. And the Knights Templar, one of the ancient organizations that was using a, you know, controlling the economies of the world of, uh, based off of gold. Side note, I've always found the fact that gold is an economic basis thing to be kind of nonsensical, just personally, moving on. So the Knights Templar, you know, they, they're, they're wiped out. There's the UN, there's UNATCO, there's the NSF, you know, all these different factions. Uh, the only ones that really matter, though, are the Illuminati themselves, Majestic 12, who are actually against each other, believe it or not, and Silhouette. Silhouette being the terrorist, definitely putting that in quotes, group that is trying to push back against these various conspiracy theories. The Illuminati, of course, being the people who've controlled the world for years. And Majestic 12, which is the latest attempt by a member of the Illuminati, Bob Page, the main villain of the game, depending on how you interpret it, who is trying to use Majestic 12 in order to take over the world himself in his own horrific plan. Um, Bob Page's plan is actually ridiculous in its own right when you really think about it. He intends to basically merge with the Internet. And I know that that, that sounds... Like, I'm being, you know, I'm just simplifying. But if you really think about it, that is his plan. He pretends to be spread out across the entire Internet of the world and therefore control everything and be everything and be everywhere. He would be like unto a god. It's referred to in-game as apotheosis, for God's sakes. Um, but that's Majestic, that's the, the, the Majestic 12 is basically just uh, Bob's, I love the fact that the main villain of this game, his name is Bob. Uh, Bob's uh, primary enforcer group that he's been using to enact his will. And that's pretty much really all that can be said about them. They are an extension of him. The Illuminati, I have slightly more to talk about. 
because one of the most interesting things that the game does is it repeatedly goes out of its way to show the Illuminati in a more positive light. They are generally presented as, if not the good guys, then one of the better guys of the three primary factions. Obviously, the, the Majestic Twelve are clearly the bad guys here. And the Silhouette Group and the various people who support that more chaotic, anarchic uh, thing are generally portrayed as positive, but not fully positive. Maybe this is just down to my own interpretations. And I'll talk more about the thematic ramifications of these three philosophies later. But from, from my perspective, the game itself, the writers of the game itself, were trying to portray the Illuminati in a better light. Now, I find that interesting because it is my opinion that that was being done in character, not out. In other words, J.C. Denton was having the Illuminati portrayed as better, not the player was. So you understand the difference there. And this really comes out in a couple of interesting scenes, most notably the one uh, where you re re react to uh, De Beers. God, I thought I was going to forget his name for a second there. You know how terrible I am with, uh, with words. I didn't write down his name, too. That's hilarious. I even have a whole section here about him. I didn't write down his freaking name. But yeah, uh, Lucius. Lucius De Beers. He uh, is a great example of the... Not quite hypocrisy of the Illuminati, but so much the cold calculus of the Illuminati. And, and, and the, the Illuminati definitely do, do seem to think in more of a direction of, well, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. So if we have to sacrifice a few to do it, we'll do it without hesitation. It is my opinion, based on everything we've seen, that they take the Justice Lords route. Now, I know I haven't talked about this in a while, so I'm going to rehash this point really quick, okay? Someone who does bad to accomplish good usually applies into one of two groups. There's the group here which I call the Cisco group, based off of Deep Space Nine. In other words, the Cisco group says, I have to do this horrible thing, and I it just it's eating at me. Oh god, I have to do this terrible, horrible thing, and I'm going to hate myself forever for it, and I'm never going to actually be able to, you know live 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 up to this. This is something I'm gonna carry with me. This is some horrible, terrible thing I am willing to accept in order to accomplish this greater good. It's the Cisco side of things. I believe the Illuminati stand more on the Justice Lord side of things, taken from a particularly awesome story of the DCAU. In other words, we're going to do this horrible thing in order to accomplish a good thing, and that's cool. <coughs> this is acceptable. No, this is right. What we are doing is correct. Yes, we have to murder and torture these people in order to save others, and that is the right thing to do. You know, that sort of certainty, that sort of total lack of any moral difficulty with doing these horrible things, because it's okay. We're accomplishing good for doing it, you know. I've always gotten, especially from Everett, that sort of perspective uh, out of the Illuminati. But there's one other thing about the Illuminati, and I haven't heard anyone talk about this either. So I mentioned this world is kind of a crapsack world. <coughs> <coughs> And I really mean that. Um, let's just go down the list here. I made a list here of things wrong with this world. There are seawalls trying to keep the oceans from overtaking places. California is completely gone. California has... They never actually say outright what happened to California, but that chunk of the western coast of the United States is just gone. The United States itself has completely split up into this military state. There's these whole... Uh, I forget what they call them. There's these uh, zoning... Permits. There's this whole backstory about how they made it legal to zone off cities so that rich people will be in this zone and poor people will be in this zone, that kind of a thing. Um, there are... Uh, the bears have gone extinct. 
as a species. Uh, India, India, the entire country has basically been nuked off the map. Also, that's also kind of an inside joke. Those of you who've played Civilization will get it. Ha ha. Um, yeah, they they also have uh, ratified. Speaking of the the sectionalizing thing, they will also sectionalize places that have higher rates of crime, so that the crime can just self perpetuate, and that way it won't be bothering anyone else. Um, Mexico conquered Texas. <laughs> That's a nice one. And then there's two ones I want to mention last. First of all, suicide clinics are a thing. I don't mean kind of like how we have in real life right now. I mean, you could go down to your local Walgreens or CVS or whatever and say, Hi, I'd like to die, please. Okay, sign here. Here you go. And you're dead. That's a normal thing in this culture. The next one I really want to point out is uh, ch uh, Chunk of Honey. I know some of you are going to get that immediately. There's a chocolate bar in the game. Um, and the actual tagline, I, I, I didn't write down the whole thing because it's this big old tagline, but the tagline basically boils down to, it's chocolate, it's people, it's both, made of 80% recycled products. That's the kind of stuff you can get out of uh, vending machines in this world. Now, why do I bring this up, other than, you know, obvious flavor and setting-building concepts? Well, there's actually a pretty big reason why I bring it up. The Illuminati have been running the show for centuries, and that's the world they've built. You can't point to Majestic 12 for those problems. That's recent. Bob Page only started taking over pretty much right about the time of human revolution, actually, is when Bob Page really started making his movements. So that's fairly recent. You can't point to all these problems in, across the entire globe and say, oh, well, that's just... You know, my point being, under the Illuminati's leadership, the world has gone to hell. And that very much colored my opinion on things when I was given the choice at the end of the game of which one, you know, to go ahead and, and, and choose and to support. Now, before we get into that, though, I want to talk a little bit about a couple of the characters. Uh, I only really have a bit to say on a few of them. For example, uh, I have Alex and Tony I both want to talk about. So, Alex and Tony are both different sides of the same coin, and that's one of the reasons I want to talk about them. Both of them are effectively chaotic in terms of the D&D alignment grid. Uh, it could be argued that Alex is chaotic good, and it could be argued that Tony is chaotic neutral. And I bring this up because Tony's overall perspective and what he wants to do, despite the fact that he is a brilliant programmer and pretty much exists off of technology, is he wants to reset. He wants to hit the, hit the reset button wipe out uh, the technological infrastructure of the world, effectively, and institute what, what actually becomes, as we know from Invisible War, a new Dark Age. And the, the Great Collapse, that's what they call it. The Great Collapse is what they refer to it as. And I'm, I find that interesting, but kind of commonplace. That is a fairly common character type. Someone who is very invested in A, and therefore wants to get rid of A. Now, it's not necessarily hypocritical. The argument that's usually made from such a character, and this is true in real life, too, is this person knows Blah so well that they want to get rid of it. They understand, or they hate it. You know, they understand it so well that they hate it, or that's why they, they disagree with its usage, that kind of a thing. By contrast, Alex just seems to be happy to help. He doesn't really get himself bothered with the politics or the long-time thinking of that. He just wants to try and fight the good fight and help wherever he can, and he has more of a starfish mentality going on. You know, It mattered to that one. So I find both of those characters interesting, especially since both of them support you the whole way through. 
I find myself wondering if Tony is more of a long-term application of Alex because he's been around for a while. In fact, he was involved in the triads and, well, I don't want to talk too much about Human Revolution here, but in Human Revolution we find out how he separated from the whole triads deal effectively all the way back then. Uh, next characters I want to talk about is Nevera and Gunther. And Nevera. They are... This actually has more significance to Human Revolution than it does to this game. But it's something I actually mentioned on my stream recently. I made the comment that if we were all, you know, if, if all of society was wiped up right now and we were enslaved and put into a cage right now, human beings would argue over who has the better rocks. Classism and competition are such natural elements to human society and human function that there will always be classism in some form or another. Um, I, I use classism as the generic catch-all to cover elitism and segregation and prejudice and bias and... and all that other, all that other stuff. It all basically falls under classism, De varying up the people, you versus us, that kind of versus thing being the important part. In other words, it's not enough to say that you're different from me. You're different from me, and therefore you're worse. Is what classism is. Okay. Both of them have pretty clear anti-augmentation uh, bias, and it's more from Gunther than it does from her. And that's kind of logical because he actually has his own fears of being obsoleted, and Lord knows he is actually very, very close to being obsoleted as of even the beginning of this game. I almost felt bad activating his kill switch. I am not a machine. Um, oh, and I'm sorry. <clears throat> Gotta say it right. I am not a machine. Sticks and stones. God, the voice acting in this game. Uh... I mention this, though, because this is something that's only touched on in this one that I feel they took and ran with with Human Revolution, which will be the game we'll be looking at next week, by the way. And I almost wish they had discussed a little bit more here, because there's a little bit of that bias here and there, in both directions, really. Some people think, oh, well, you know, the new generation augments are obviously superior, the old generation doesn't matter anymore. Um, and it's not just about the augmentation thing. There's several other aspects of this classism and this old versus the new thing that happened throughout the course of this work. Again, Bob Page himself being a good example to Everett, which is funny because Everett himself is a good example to De Beers. <laughs> Um, and so forth and so on. I don't have much else to add to that other than I just wanted to point out the obvious uh, nature of that. The other character, uh, I want to talk about Bob Page as well. He's interesting to me because he is this extremely ambitious man who is terrified all the time. Let me explain what I mean by that. It, you see every now and again a character who exudes confidence, right? And then every now and again you see a character who projects confidence. And the difference be, be, between these two being one of them is the one where they don't actually have any self-confidence. They, 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 they try to portray, portray as if they do. But in their mind, in the back of their mind, when they say, well, I can do this, they're thinking, oh, I can't do this. And I'm sure some of you out there re in real life understand the difference between that from your own life experiences. So, Bob, it's funny when you're going through Area 51 in the final dungeon there, basically. Because as you're going through there, there's this entire bit where he starts off saying, why are you even trying? You can't possibly get to me. Here's, here's one of the men who killed your parents because they got in my way. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, you're getting a little close now. I'm not sure why you're doing this, but maybe we can talk about this. Okay, you're getting a lot closer. Why don't I try bribing you instead of threatening you? No? Okay, why don't I try yelling at you? And, oh, God, please don't hurt me, please. And that's basically how Bob Page dissolves throughout the course of the last dungeon. 
question. Um, and it really demonstrates that increasing desperation of the man and how little he was actually certain in his actions and his functions. It makes me wonder if he's always been that way. It's also an interesting parallel to Morgan Everett, who, uh, or is it Morgan? I actually don't remember his first name. It's Everett. Uh, you know, his, his, his mentor. Um, because Everett always comes across as if he has actual confidence. He is 100% certain in what he's doing and that what he's doing is right. Whereas Bob is much more the youthful, I'm, I'm going to make this work. Oh, God, it's not working. Why isn't it working? Kind of a character, and I really like that presentation. Um, speaking of Everett, this is a good time to uh, segue into him. I feel that Morpheus demonstrates Everett's uh, philosophy better than everything. No, I don't mean the Morpheus from the Matrix movies. I mean the Morpheus AI in this particular game. There's this long point about uh, that, that, that Mor the, Morpheus has this whole discussion with you about how people enjoy being watched. And, and this whole thing, it's, it's absolutely terrifying and it demonstrates a frightening insight, I think, into Everett's philosophy, especially since Everett himself denies it completely. He says, oh, he's nothing. Don't even think about it. But the presentation there is the idea that human beings need to look up to something. Human beings need to be following something, and human beings must have someone else that they that they must follow. I would classify Everett as an actual, uh, a true believer, not a zealot. Bob Page would be closer to a zealot, but Everett is the true believer. He actually really does believe that there needs to be this overarching system, and it needs to go in this manner, and it needs to be like this, and that is the proper way for society to progress. And that really comes across if you choose his ending, by the way, which I did not. I did watch a YouTube of his ending, and oh my god. He's like, all right. And and so, you know, JC is like, we need to do this and this and that. And Everett's like, of course we'll do that. Through the right channels, of course. Huh? Oh, don't worry. It, it's This is how this has always worked. We need to do this and blah, blah, blah. Um, I also really love, there's this great discussion. There's this great discussion between... Uh, Oh, oh, hang on. I wrote down a quote. I'm sorry. Uh, so Morpheus uh, mentions this to JC. And he says, The unplanned organism is a question asked by nature and answered by death. You are another type of answer for another type of question. In other words, unplanned organisms is people, you know, natural birth, right? Things that were not planned, obviously. And it's a question asked by nature, answered by death. In other words, the overall philosophy there being that the individual does not matter. Now, I already really talked about this, but this really lays it out there, that the individual is of no significance. The only thing that is of significance is the system and the overall propagation of the species. And the idea of the planned person being a new answer for a new type of question kind of helps to emphasize the direction Everett probably wanted things to go in. Of course, we'll never know which direction he wanted to go with things to go in, and thank God for that. Um, so now moving on to the Helios thing. Helios has this great discussion with JC, and it's great even though it's terribly voice acted, because it is literally the discussion between two disparate philosophies that have been discussed since humankind has been. Has been. I myself have discussed this concept on the show. It boils down to the, the security versus freedom argument. But that's because that is basically a subset of the greater argument, which is order versus chaos. Now, the great thing about the way this was presented, this is probably one of the best written sections of the whole thing. Probably one of the very few sections of the game I would say is truly phenomenally well written. Is this debate between Helios and JC. 
And that is the reason I say that is because both sides are portrayed both positively and negatively, and neither side is actually definitively shown or proven to be correct. Now, they do that on purpose, because what's happening here is they're trying to sell you, the player, on which side you should pick, which ending you should pick, which, again, I'll talk about in just a minute. And uh, so they can't just tell you, well, this is the good ending, because then that's just going to color your portrayal, right? Some people will automatically pick it because it's the good ending. Some people will automatically not pick it because they want the bad ending. So... I love the debate, though, the philosophical side of this. I wish we, we could actually like have a live discussion thing. And if we were doing this as a, as a lore run, it's exactly what we do at this point. Because, so on the, on the chaos side of things, which is what J.C. Denton presents, he, he mentions several things which I almost never hear in benefit of chaotic uh, organization, which is to say the competition of ideologies can actually produce new ideas, new concepts. The idea that conflict itself is what is what instigates creativity, what instigates change. And that is logical because that's true on a basic mathematical physics level of, of, of reality. You know, change happens because kind of a very blunt kind of a way to put that. And the, the, he has another great line, which I wrote down here. The peaceful and constructive struggle for power produces progress. And that is absolutely true. Now, the non-peaceful, non-constructive uh, struggle for power produces uh, regression, but it is still worthy of note that different people who are different, vying for different perspectives and different philosophies can and does and has in real life produced progress. Not necessarily clean, not necessarily neat, not necessarily good. That's all, that's all up for debate and that's all up for interpretation and ideology and philosophy and all that fun stuff for the individual to decide. But there's no denying that progress has happened because of that kind of a thing, and that's cool. Then the other side, of course, is actually kind of obvious, the, 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 the side that uh, Helios himself presents, which is to say, well, what you're saying is, is death and pain and suffering, and we're trying to get rid of that. If we were more organized, if we were more homogenized, if we were uh, administrated, the, he uses the great word, administrate. He doesn't want to rule. He wants to administrate the world. Uh, if we were administrated properly, there would be no need for that. Everyone would have the nice food they need. Everyone would have the medical care they need. Everyone would have everything that they require but the the strong implication, of course, there is that there would be no change. We would enter a state of stagnation. I actually have a short story that I plan to start doing soon based on that very concept, the idea of a society that has basically stopped progressing because of something similar to this. So you have your choice of freedom and pain or and, and the consequences of that or uh, order and stagnation. Again, both sides having positive, both sides having negative. It's a really nice scene. So... My last two big points, yes, we're already wrapping up. I told you I didn't have too much to talk about. My last two big points. Uh, I told you to remember something about the gameplay and something about the story. You remember that? So we'll talk about the story thing first. This is a cliche-ridden, typical, trope-heavy story. And that's a good thing. This game actually took all of those cliches and just embraced them wholeheartedly and did so fully straight-laced, without tongue-in-cheek, without trying to wink at the audience, just saying, yes, conspiracies, aliens, and, and, and black clothes, and, and government conspiracies, you know, the Illuminati, all that stuff. To took it and ran with it. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why the story succeeds, despite the fact that it's not the most well-written thing in the universe. And this is the thing I wanted to comment on that nobody else I've ever heard has talked about, because the story is not its strongest point. It is very basic, actually. It is 
not that well written, with the exception of a few important scenes. It is not that well uh, presented with the terrible voice acting. And again, it is incredibly cliched, but as I've said many, many times, cliches are not necessarily a bad thing. Too many times people use the word cliche as an insult when it comes to writing, and I don't agree with that. And this game is an excellent example of why. So I bring this up because for all the praise that I and others have heaped upon this game, no one ever talks about the fact that the story is its weakest point. Now, you might think that's weird, especially coming from me, you know, the lore runner, someone who looks at this sort of thing and, and, and st the story is the meat of the game for me. Well, there is <clears throat> the story, again, the enthusiasm and the, the straight-laced nature with which they embrace those cliches helps to flesh it out for me and make it more enjoyable than it otherwise would. But there's one other thing that really makes me enjoy this game. This is my final point. This is Undertale. Except back about 15 years. What I mean by that is that this game actually made your choices matter in a way that makes sense. Too many times when we were going through the Mass Effect stuff, like five years ago now, and uh, I was talking about this with several people, both on my show and just in real life, the idea of the actual branching story. I myself said the ideal of the branching storyline would be fantastic for Mass Effect 3, but was also effectively impossible. It was, it was the, that's why I call it ideal, because there's, there's no way that's going to actually happen, right? Having true branching gameplay, and excuse me, having true branching story in a game is just one of those things that is incredibly difficult to pull off and is going to require a massive investment and is probably going to take away from other sides of development. Even this game, just like Undertale, is a linear line, right? You always start over here, and you always do these missions, and then you end over here at Area 51. And yet this game makes your choices matter, just like Undertale did, just like many other games do. What do I mean by that? This game finally does something that I don't hear many people talking about. I tried to talk about this when it came to Mass Effect 2, and I don't really feel like I got that point across. So this is a much better time to talk about it. Your choices matter because they affect the flavor of the journey. All roads lead to Rome. And we are still going through the same relatively linear path. But your journey there is wildly different. The actual style of that journey, the approach, the flavor, the way your character is, the way your character interacts with the world, the very nature of how you play that path is up to you. That's how your choices matter. If I could borrow something from Neil deGrasse Tyson, he once made a parallel uh, or an analogy to try and explain the difference between weather patterns and predicting the weather. You know, how, the, how he could prove how they knew that there was going to be an environmental crisis, despite the fact that they couldn't predict the weather on a Tuesday in California, you know. And he had a dog on a leash. This is a great analogy. He had a dog on a leash, and he was walking in a straight line. The dog was going all over the place. The straight line was what could be predicted. The dog was what couldn't, right? That analogy applies here just as well, though. You, the person, going through the linear story, are the guy with the leash, so this, the game, if you will, still has you, the player, on the leash. But the leash is not this long. It's, it's, you know, it's several feet long or it's, it's several meters long or whatever. And so you have the availability to roam as the game is dragging you along the linear path. And you have the ability to go over here and go over here, do this and this. Oh, what's that? I'm going to stop here and do this, this, this. You have lots and lots of options. So the game actually does make you feel like your choices matter, even though you're still being dragged along by the leash. Make sense? This is what I feel is the true strength of Deus Ex, one of the reasons why this is still an amazing game and has been for many, many years and will continue to be for many, many years. I highly, highly recommend you play this game if you have not. 
Now, unfortunately, that is all I got to tell you. Like I said, I didn't have much. I hope it was worth it, at the very least, for my first return rumination. I'm going to go pretty much immediately start working on the next one, which is, of course, Human Revolution. I will see you guys next time.